AEC, ACC, A Sun, A10, Big East, Big Sky, Big South, Big 10, Big 12, Big West, CAA, CUSA. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the March Only Podcast. This is a podcast that takes place in the month of March only. I'm your host, Troy Macker. And remember that this podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, so like, rate, share, subscribe, all that stuff. This episode is incredibly special to me because we get to talk to Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News. He's a guy I've worked with, a guy who I've tried to emulate in my career. He's arguably the greatest college basketball writer on the planet. He has more knowledge and information than anyone, and he's going to share that with us. Let's tip it off. It's college hoops time. NCAA team stand on the ground. All sweat, no pain. Homie, we want more. Lock up, loose ball, man. We diving on the floor. Working in preseason. All right, I'm now going to welcome in one of my former colleagues at Sporting News and, and one of the best college basketball writers on the planet, and that is Mike DeCourcy. How are you doing, Mike? It's great to talk to you again. Oh, it's great to talk to you, Troy. I'm doing very well. That's, that's great to hear, and very well at the, the best time of the year. And, you know, the, the NCAA tournament is uh, what is on everyone's mind right now. And the thing that I'm having my uh, the biggest difficulty wrapping my head around is kind of how the committee is looking at teams this year because I feel like the, the metrics have changed and it's new for a lot of us. And so with the, the quadrants that people are, a lot of the, the casual observers are now learning about a couple weeks before the tournament because this is something that hasn't always been used. Do you think that it is an, effect, an effective metric compared to RPI, strength of schedule, or is it just another metric that can give us some answers but not the entire picture? I think the first thing to understand is that they haven't really moved away from the RPI, at least not yet. I think they're still working on how to do that. They've not been able to come up with a metric that they're comfortable with uh, to replace the RPI. They've just redefined how RPI wins are valued. Uh, what basically what the quadrants mean is, as opposed to the past, when you when when the committee members would look at a sheet, what they call a team sheet, which is basically a, a team's resume or a team's record, uh, they would be divided up into uh, sections of the RPI. Uh, so if you beat teams ranked one to fifty, or you played teams ranked one to fifty, it would be okay. You beat these teams, you lost to these teams, and it would say, let's say number. Uh, you know, you played number two Villanova and lost. You played number eight Auburn and won, and that, that's what—that's how it would be listed. And it would tell you whether it was home or road, but it wouldn't classify it. Now, what they've realized, and, and the the uh, the the, anal, the analytics people convinced them that a road win against a team that may be lower ranked is just as hard to achieve as a home win against a team that's higher ranked. So what it is now is if you beat a team that's ranked number 65, which would right now be Arizona State, if you beat that team on the road, uh, you, know, that's, you know, that's put in the same category as beating uh, a team like Tennessee at home. Uh, Tennessee being number ten. That's how the quadrants work. So that would be quadrant one, one to fi- one to fifty. Excuse me, one to twenty-five home, one to fifty neutral, one to seventy-five road. That's a quadrant one win if you win any of those games. 
And so it, it doesn't really change the nature of the selection. It just changes how things are valued a little bit. You know, they still put too much emphasis, in my estimation, on a non-conference strength of schedule. To me, that should not even be in the room. It, it should be, it's antithetical to what they preach. They say that all games are the same. They, they say your conference record, you're 13-5, and five, Nebraska, so what? It, you know, all wins are the same, but we're going to pay attention to your schedule rating when you play out of conference. That's hypocritical. That should not be in there, but it still is. Uh, they were smart enough to get rid of, uh, almost 10 years ago, how you perform down the stretch. That's going to vex some people this year because Alabama has been horrific. Not horrendous, horrific, which is worse uh, down the stretch. But, you know, you look at their record over the course of the year, maybe it's tournament-worthy. You can argue either way, but you, what you can't argue is that how they've played lately shouldn't play into it. So the, 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 the system has not changed all that much. I think we're still coming to that. When they find a number that makes them comfortable, uh, then, then, then it will change dramatically. But as for now, it's all still based on that RPI house. And the RPI is a flawed metric. Um, but again, one reason why it, it bothers me that they take into schedule, your schedule into account is because the RPI is 75% a rating of your schedule. Yeah. How much more pure a ranking of your schedule do you need than that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, I think with the quadrants, for a long time, pundits and, and basketball people have been saying, no, not all wins and losses are created equal. We need to redefine what they are. And so it is nice to see the committee adjust a little or take up a, a look or at least listen to what we're saying. And they always have because of the, the mock selection committees. But it, it's it's good to see that they're, that people are asking for something and they're at least trying to adjust whether or not it – you know, truly will impact. Well, last year when we didn't do this, uh, you wouldn't have gone in, and this year, and we are doing it, you will get in. Yeah, I, I don't think that will happen. What I have an interesting question. Uh, one suggestion I, I've heard is to: Are you in favor or against, or do you think it's a bad idea if the kind of the picking up wins and uh, improving resume ended at the end of the regular season? So. Your conference tournament is for the automatic, the automatic bid only. I will say that I have heard some ludicrous suggestions on how to change or improve this uh, this particular process, and that's one of that's one of the most ludicrous <laughs> I've ever heard. Um, I, that one, that one, uh, frankly, astounded me when it was presented to me. Uh, it is indefensible. Yeah, yeah, because. Um, there's, you know, some would say that we should, you know, award the, an auto bid to the regular season champion, but if you're still going to play games and teams that are in the tournament are going to, in the conference tournament are going to make the NCAA tournament having lost, then those wins should continue to matter. It, it, there shouldn't be a cutoff date. You know, I, I am always struggle with the idea that this needs to be charitable to, uh, to mid and low major programs. I mean, They've already, you know, they're already giving about, it's a little less than a third now, but about a third of the field uh, to those teams with the automatic bid. And good for them because, yes. I mean, if you're Division I, you, 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 should, you, know, you, you should have an opportunity to compete for the championship. 
Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that they, they you know, I, I, I hear, you know, look, I, I won't name any names, but I hear analysts <laughs> all the time say, give the little guy a chance. Well, yeah. first of all, they already have a chance. I mean, automatic bid is a chance. Yeah. What, they, what, what needs to be done is that um, if you're a mid or low major team, what you've accomplished needs to be respected. Um, and I don't think that they always do that. And, you know, one of the things that I've shown historically is that teams that win better than 80% of their games, uh, it, 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 I came up with a term, I call it the 801 club. Anybody that has a winning percentage of greater than 80% tends to do well in this tournament. And you go back over the course of time, how did Northern Iowa beat Kansas in 2011? 801 club. How did St. Mary's make the Sweet 16 that year? 801 club. I mean, it, it, it all, you know, St. Stephen F. Austin in, in 2016, how did they do what they did? You know, they're all, they all fit. Um, you know, Loyola this year is a team that you should look at and say, I fear that team. And whether they not they win, I mean, they don't, they don't all go, you know, it's not like everybody in the 801 club goes, you know, uh, five, five or six and oh, I mean, in part because it, there's the, inevitability you'll end up against other members of the 801 club so mm-hmm. they tend to knock each other out but it, you know it's those teams know how to win basketball games when murray state got left out a couple of years ago uh i think it was 2015 i was mm-hmm. disappointed because they'd won like 28 games in a row and and they lost their championship game on a buzzer beater they didn't need charity they needed to be evaluated fairly uh when um monmouth uh yes uh, 2016, when they were left out, they had beaten high major teams. Uh, you know, they, they, they dominated their conference. They lost a few games on the road, and they were excluded on the basis of, well, those are not high-rated teams. Yeah, but that's who's in their league, and, and you play on the road. You're not going to win them all, but they still won the vast majority of their games. We don't have a lot of teams like that this yes. year because Loyola won. Uh, so it, I'm not sure whether that's going to enter into the discussions this year, uh, but that, those are the teams that need to to be respected and to be you know and to have their uh, accomplishments appreciated and not just have the schedule thrown at them uh, because it's a convenient excuse. Yes, absolutely. And I the the mid majors and low majors absolutely have their shot. In no other you know in college football, you 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 have to be perfect. 13 and 0 and still get some help if you're a mid-major to even have a a chance at it. And so I would love to see all the the best mid-majors compete, but like we should not give them a boost just because they're a mid-major and the games they play are, you know, against other teams that might be as weak. Justify it, look at their resume and do a complete evaluation of it and if they fit, absolutely. But yeah, I think Charity is a great way to put it because they're good teams, and if they're good enough, they will, will get in. And ultimately, it's it also comes down to all you got to do is win the game. If you're good enough, win the game. And it's like in combat sports, don't leave it to the judges. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. But, you know, I, I do think that there can be an understanding within the committee yes. uh, that it, dominance needs to be valued. Absolutely. You know, teams that go 18-0 and in their leagues – uh, that you know that you know that go twenty eight and five or thirty and three or something like that. That's if if that were easy to do. You know the idea. Well, it's not. You know the schedule is not the greatest to come. If that were easy to do, one everybody would do it, or yes. there'd be one of those in every league or whatever. And two, those teams wouldn't then go into the tournament and routinely win, which they do. Yeah. 
Yeah, and having played sports in college and having coached uh, college kids, 18 to 22-year-olds are very inconsistent people. So to get them to be successful on a weekly, on a multi-week basis without losing or slipping up or having lapses is huge. And from a human element, that like that should be rewarded because cons- consistency is impossible uh, with the amount of distractions from academics and media and everything. And if they're winning, that's sustainability. That should be looked at even though there isn't really a metric other than win streak. Right. Yeah, it, you know, I mean, uh, like I said, if you win at that persistent level yeah. – uh, where you're winning almost, you know, you're going 18 and 0 in your conference, and you're and you're winning outside your league. Uh, you're winning on neutral floors. You're win, and and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody throws in a buzzer shot to beat you in your conference tournament, which both teams know is an automatic ticket in. Um, you know, that doesn't exclude. That doesn't disqualify you for me. I mean, any more than you know. I mean, right now, Oklahoma's barely playing basketball. I mean, it, it, they have a ball and they have a hoop, <laughs> but beyond that, um, you know, I think so. I guess they have the base requirements, uh, but beyond that, it you know, it's it's really tough to call it that. So you know, should they be disqualified because they've been that bad lately? No, because you play thirty-five games for a reason, and if you win enough of those thirty-five games, then you should be in. Yes, yes, absolutely, and and so let's switch gears and talk about teams that. Uh, instead of being on the bubble or why they may or may not make it, teams that could potentially make the Final Four, and there are two teams that are right in your wheelhouse that intrigue me the entire season, and that's Xavier and Cincinnati. And first I want to start with Xavier. What are they missing? Are they missing anything? Is is this the best shot they'll have at a Final Four as they've had in recent memory? Well, you know, I mean, I think that in some ways um, they might have had a better shot last year if they'd stayed healthy. I mean, they came so close, even though they got they, they lost their point guard uh, two thirds of the way through the year. It showed how good they were. Um, they don't have a player like Edmund Sumner who is so dynamic that he commands. I mean, I mean, from a point guard standpoint, yes. who it just commands attention every time he touches the ball. They don't have that guy now. Uh, and Quentin Gooden is a, is a very fine player and a very capable player and a good shooter and does the right things. You know, but they are not a great defensive team. Uh, you know, Cincinnati and, and Xavier are kind of mirror images of each other. One's a great offensive team that doesn't defend great but can at times, and the other is a great defensive team that you know struggles sometimes on offense but has some good players and can score you know in the right moments against the right team so you know there are there are you know it's like they you put them if you could put them together you'd have a a dominant team uh you know but that but that's you know that's kind of the way this team has developed what xavier uh, what um what's interesting about them is that they are so different from moment to moment and when they go to their bench they don't stay the same i mean they go from Karam Canner to Sean O'Mara, they completely change who they are. Uh, you know, they don't, they run, they still run the same stuff, but those two guys are so different uh, in the way they play uh, that it really changes their team personality. So it's harder to pin them down as a result, which is good for the, it's good for the team because they're harder to defend, but it's also can be a, a detriment because, you know, what do you go to when you're in a crisis? Uh, that's you know that's the thing about uh, about Xavier that I worry a little is what what do they do 
when things aren't going well and they need, okay, we need a bucket here. Uh, here's what we do. Uh, we need a stop here. Here's who we can count on. And those are the things that I worry about a little bit. Obviously, a high-class problem. I mean, they're, yep. you know, they're, uh, they're a dominant team in their league. They, they won the Big East away from Villanova. First time anybody's done that since the league became a, you know, a basketball-first league. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or resumed being a basketball first league, I guess I yeah. should say. Yeah, and so I, for one, think that, you know, yeah, like you said, a, you need a crisis manager or a crisis handler. On the offensive end, I think they have one of the best four crisis handlers in the country in terms of Trayvon Blewett, but I think the biggest issue is, okay, you could get the bucket. Do you have the person to get the stop? And I think you're exactly right. I, I don't know if they have one person who can do that. I don't. Uh, they are a good defensive team, not a great defensive team, is that their biggest weakness? Is defense? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, they're not horrible. No, but um, but they're not. You know, most teams that most teams that win the championship are are excellent at defense and excellent at offense. Most teams that win the championship have both areas covered at a very high level. The only team, really, in the la- you know in the last fifteen years or so that that wasn't top twenty in Ken Pomeroy's offensive and deficiency. Uh, excuse me, offense. And defensive efficiency ratings, the only team that won without being top 20 in both of those was Connecticut in 2014. Kevin Ollie in just his second year as a head coach with his mentor, the Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun, looking on. The celebration will be on in stores, Connecticut. Another strange year. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that helps a Xavier that's only 62nd in D. Or maybe it helps a Cincinnati that's only 46th in offense. Uh, this could, you know, this could be a year where that works out. Uh, but um, you know, right now they both would seem to have, you know, that one flaw that would keep them, maybe not necessarily from making the Final Four, but from from winning six games. Would you rather have a team that is elite on defense or a team on offense? Is one style more conducive? Because I think people try to, uh, when you identify which teams could make it to the Final Four, dark horse teams, whatever. Uh, they try to make rough profiles and then find teams that best fit that profile. Is there one? To to win a regular season championship, I'd want the defensive team yeah. because it's consistent, it's repeatable. You know, you, you get volume of victories that way. Uh, to win the NCAA championship, if I if I were going one or the other, I'd want offense uh, because offense is what can't be contained in a, in a six game series uh, a six game stretch you you have you know you have often elite offensive players uh, that uh, it's hard for teams to stop that if you get a if you get a guy like um, uh, I'm trying to think of a perfect player to, to put in that circumstance let's say uh, a Derek Rose when he got hot mm-hmm. um, you can't deal with Derek Rose I mean you just have to hope that he misses once in a while that you get the rebound when he does I mean, you can work for that, and then on offense, you have to try to, you know, to, to try to hurt them. Uh, but you can't, you, you can't keep Derrick Rose out of the lane. He's too, too talented. So if you've got that as an offensive basketball team, and I think that, uh, for instance, Duke probably has guys like that. I yeah. mean, how do you stop Marvin Bagley, for goodness sakes? Uh, you, you know, the way you stop Marvin Bagley is you get him in foul trouble and get him out of the game. You can't stop him when he's on the floor. Uh, he stops himself maybe yep. from time to time, not work as hard. That's not been a problem lately, but it was early. 
uh, or, you know, or maybe, uh, you know, gets frustrated. That can happen to anybody. Those kinds of things can, can develop. But your, your contribution to that um, is either going to, you know, it's, it's either going to leave you open to other areas uh, or it's going to be just sort of crossing your fingers and hoping that uh, you can push him a little bit further out from his range. Yeah, that's why offense is the, you know, is generally, you know, people say defense wins championships in, in sports. Yes. Um, in, in college basketball, offense wins. Yes, and if defense won national championships in basketball, we talk, we'd be talking about Virginia being back-to-back-to-back national champions. <laughs> and the teams that are locked down defensively typically play a slower type of basketball. And in tournament settings, you get no second chance. Uh, if you if you lose the game, you're done. And so Virginia gets down 15. You are playing a time-restricted game. You don't have a lot of time. And if your pace of play is already slow, how do you get back? It- yeah, I'm working on a piece uh, about uh, about Steph Curry. And, and, uh, and Joe Krabenhoff said, you know, when, when they played uh, Davidson in the Sweet 16, um, he said, you know, we were right there. And then... Boom, boom, Curry makes a couple, Jason Richards tosses one in, and all of a sudden we're down 12 or 14, and we are not built yes. to come back from 12 or 14. And that's kind of Virginia's deal, too. Yeah, and so unlike Cincinnati, uh, or unlike Virginia, Cincinnati, their pace of plays a little bit faster because no one is as glacially slow as Virginia. But there's, I don't know what it is that I like so much about Cincinnati this year compared to other teams. Because I always think they're perennial Sweet 16 teams, and I don't think they have one incredibly talented player. I don't know if it's the leadership or the the experience or just this team is clicking. But for some reason, I think this team, despite their not limited offense, but you know, uh, some somewhat vanilla, I would say, uh, is are they a Final Four contender? What what concerns you about them? Well, you know, I, I I think a lot of teams are Final Four contenders because of nature this season. Yeah. Uh, it, a lot of it will depend on what kind of team they're matched against. Uh, you know, I, I, their offense at times um, is problematic uh, in part because the, you know they they have a very unconventional low post player in Kyle Washington. He doesn't shoot like anybody else when he's on. He's really hard to stop because he shoots such a high, you know, he shoots a high arc from the perimeter. He shoots the strangest release yes. on his jump hook. Uh, so it's hard for opponents to stop, but it's not, you know, it's not unerringly consistent. And so that's a little bit of a worry. Uh, you can, you know, they can get a little stagnant uh, on, on the offense. Uh, the, the other problem they have is that um, their best offensive lineup with Kane Broom at point guard isn't always their best defensive lineup. Uh, so uh, there, there, there are issues there, but pretty much everybody has something that they don't do great. Uh, Cincinnati, if they got the right draw and they played with great confidence, I'll tell you this, there's no team that has better character out there than they do. Yeah. There are some that may be tied for first, uh, but there's nobody you know with the uh, – with guys that are more connected and more committed to winning and, and that play with more heart than they do. Yeah, they, they I think, are the toughest team in the country. They, it, it, they are a brick wall of just grit and toughness, which is what their, their team profile has been for a while, for a long time. That's the first thing you think about when you think Cincinnati. But this team, more than ever, is at an elite level in terms of that. So if, if you had to pick either one, Cincinnati or Xavier, because I, I – I don't think I'm putting them together because of their location, but they're both 
two teams um, in the top 10 that are very unique in how they play. And in this year where there are no real, true elite teams, they both seem like contenders. Would you take one or the other in this tournament? I would take the offensive team, and and you know, and and the reason I would take Xavier is because you know, like I mentioned, Cantor, I watched him absolutely destroy Butler's defense. I mean, I I, I was I was going to write a column on him that night, and in and ended up not getting the chance because uh, uh, because the the guy from the Patriots, the offensive coordinator, bailed on. Uh, on, on the, the whole Colts thing. So yes. I wind up having to shelf that and write about football. <laughs> uh, but I was charting what Cantor was doing, and he was scoring from the perimeter. He was, uh, he was just absolutely undermining uh, Butler's D on the inside with different post moves. And I mean, and he's, you're talking about a guy who plays like 19 minutes a game, but he can go out and get 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes he can get, uh, go out and get 20 in that stretch. He doesn't have to have his minutes stretched to do it. Uh, so that, I, I think that combined with with Blewett's offensive ability, uh, with Makura's uh, game, you know, gamer. What do you, what do you, what's the word for that? I mean, he's a, he's a gamer. Gamerism. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what you know. The guy. He's just so you know. He's so tough, and he and, and he's you know he, he's gonna he's gonna do whatever he has to do to win a game. Uh, I, you know, and they've got so many answers. They're so deep uh, that uh, even though they struggle to defend. And I'm not super crazy about the fact that when they had that big game against Villanova at home that they got just punked uh, by the Wildcats. Uh, those two things worry me a little bit. But I, like I said, I can list a worry for every team in this field. Uh, and I'm not saying I think Xavier's going to the Final Four. That's going to be bracket-based decision-making. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that... Uh, uh, I think that they are a team that certainly has uh, Final Four potential. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, there, there are two things I, I really want to pick your brain about because you've you've been doing this at such a high level for such a long time and I haven't gotten a chance to work with you and just uh, listen to the stories you tell and talk about previous tournaments. And this, what makes March so great for me is the history and the the different kind of pinpoints and remembering years based off of different teams that we're not familiar with, your Valpos, your Florida Gulf Coasts, but even your, you know, um, high major teams that come out of nowhere, like your UConn uh, in 2011. Is there one kind of random or um, mercurial or Cinderella player who, when you think about the great March performances, that's the person to come into mind? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, 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 I still remember... Um, you know, Ali Farokmanesh uh, for Northern Iowa and the shot he made against Kansas. And it was not the only shot he made in that game. Farokmanesh, a three. You can't be serious with that shot. But, I mean, it was such an, you know, it was such an incredible shot to, go, to come down in a, I believe it was a one-point game and there were still like 30 seconds left or whatever, maybe a little less than that, and to say, and and you're in transition, and most teams would just absolutely squeeze the life out of the clock and wind up taking a tough shot and maybe not scoring, and then and then the then the, then the obviously more talented team comes down, drives it, you know, gets a layup, and gets the put back, and wins. And that's the way that always plays out. But Ollie instead, you know, comes down, boom, pulls up from from about twenty, 
knocks it in. It's, they're up four, and the game is pretty much over. It was one of the really great moments. It's not a buzzer beater like some of the others, but for me, that just said that, that that was like a quintessential NCAA tournament moment. And, and it's unfortunate that because of the fact that there are so many great buzzer beaters in the game's history, that a shot like that get kind of gets lost. But it was every bit as big as what Tyus Edney did in, in its own way. One last try for the Bruins of UCLA to get into the Sweet 16. Knocked out last year in the first round by Tulsa. They don't want to lose this one. Edney going the distance. Yes! Or every bit as big as what Leitner did. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! You know, because it won the game. Uh, and, you know, you, those two teams both needed those shots. Uh, Duke and UCLA needed those shots to go on and win championships, and, and Northern Iowa died in the next round. Uh, but making that Sweet 16 was pretty close to a national championship for, for Northern Iowa. Yeah, and when you think about the ways that uh, the mid-majors and low-majors typically win, you know, a lot of them are on, on buzzer beaters, and so that it, it's a – Snatching defeat at the at the last moment, the Cinderella, uh, you know, keeping the slipper on. But in that instance, and I, I look at it the same with the T.J. Sorrentine shot. It was so there was so much almost confidence in it that there was they were going to win. Ali Farouk Manesh, there was no doubt in his mind that shot was going in. It was an ill-advised shot. He pump faked and had no one really in front of him and pulled up with thirty seconds on the shot clock. I think like nine to 12 seconds left and it was no fear and those are the two things is being cinderella and not being afraid of the giant that's standing in front of you and regardless of the fact that it wasn't a buzzer beater i personally think it's one of the greatest shots i've ever seen because kansas calls a timeout the place goes nuts they cut to farouk manesh he's just yelling at the top of his lungs all the all the emotions that make march great were there and it was just they were not afraid and that shot, that shot really encapsulated all of it. Yeah, it, you know, there there are so many great moments from the NCAA tournament's history. Uh, you know, the Steph Curry run in 2008 is is just magical. Uh, the uh, you know the, the the Danny Ainge going all the way back to '81, the Danny Ainge coast to coast against Notre Dame. Uh, there are so many wonderful things that have happened in in college basketball and in the NCAA tournament, and it's one of the reasons why. People are so enamored and engaged it, it, because it, it's a tournament that it, it never disappoints. You know, sometimes we'll see, a, you know, we'll get through a day and there hasn't been any upsets or there haven't been as many close games. And you start to see the, now the whining online about, uh, uh, about the, way the, game, the way the games are going. And this tournament's a bust. And, I mean, that's how spoiled the people are by how, you, uh, you know, uncommonly dramatic that thing is every single year. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think because people are looking for your upsets, your buzzer beaters, they may not be in tune to the fact that there have been some incre- absolutely incredible games. Um, I mean, look no further than the UNC Villanova National Championship game. But for me, the greatest March Madness game I've ever seen, aside from probably that UNC Villanova game, is Xavier versus Kansas State in 2011, I believe. One of the single best tournament basketball games I've ever seen. Jacob Poland, Dennis Clemente, Two Holloway, Jordan Crawford, double overtime was just sensational. That's the first game I always think about. And it, they, neither was uh, an underdog or a Cinderella that was 
two quality teams. Is there a non-Final Four game that stands out as one of the best basketball games you've ever seen? Well, you know, I, I will say this. Last year, and it, you know, it didn't have as much consequence as a you know, Sweet 16 game, but last year uh, the Michigan-Oklahoma State game was ridiculous. I mean, it, it, I think the final score was like 97-93 or something like that. I mean, when the bracket came out, it was like they, you know, and, then, and, and that game happened to be placed in Indy where I was going to be, so I got to see the whole thing. And when the bracket came out, they were like the number one and number two offensive teams in the country, something like that. And you're like, either this is going to be the greatest game ever or they're going to come out and play a, like a 50-45 to 45 slugfest and, you know, just because, you know, to playing against type. And fortunately, it was the first. It was just an unbelievably entertaining game. Guys making high-level play after high-level play, uh, you know, shot, big shot after big shot. And you had to keep making big shots because the other team kept making big shots. Uh, it, was, it was as entertaining as any NCAA tournament game I've ever covered. That, that's great. That, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this tournament because I feel like there's the potential to have some matchups like that. There, where it may not be upsets, but that's the thing is that the tournament is like a full buffet of everything from individual moments to things you didn't expect to heartbreak. It covers, it runs the gamut of emotions for players, coaches, fans. It's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, I, I've been very blessed. This will be my 20th, 29th Final Four uh, to get the chance to cover, and, and uh, I've enjoyed it. So, you know, I've enjoyed everyone, every chance to cover the tournament that I've gotten. And, and I look forward to San Antonio this year. Yes, absolutely. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed getting to work with you and, you know, reading your stuff before I worked with you, after I worked with you. I wish you the best of luck in the tournament and uh, really want to thank you for coming on and look forward to talking to you soon. Well, Troy, the, the DMV is lucky to have you. Uh, we miss you at Sporting News, but, uh, I'm happy for you know for all the people of that region that they get a chance to see your work every day because you do a phenomenal job. I, re- I really appreciate that, Mike. Thanks very much. Thanks, Troy. And that's going to do it for this edition of the March Only Podcast. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, listen on SoundCloud or iTunes. And, of course, shout-out to Tim Shovers, producer Tim Shovers. He's the guy who's putting all these podcasts together. One of the best in the business. Dude, I get to sit next to every day at my desk. Really smart guy. If you ever need podcast help, look up Tim Shovers. He's the guy for the job. And as the tournament keeps going, we will too. So we will see you later. It's college hoops time. It's college hoops time. NCAA team stand on the ground. All sweat, no pain. Homie, we want more. Lock up, loose bar, man. We diving on the floor. Working in preseason. Ready for the chance. Working in DC.